the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back as we head into Hour 2 of our daily three-hour tour. Once in a very rare while, I will spend a lot of time on a column, and I think, uh, here we are six months into the year, um, I don't think I spent more time on a column than I did this week on one written by Thomas Frank. He is a columnist uh, for The Guardian U.S., author most recently of the book The People Know, A Brief History of Antipopulism. The piece he wrote in The Guardian was titled, If the Wuhan Lab Leak Hypothesis is True, Expect a Political Earthquake. Thomas Frank is a uh, well-known writer. If you're a liberal Democrat, you will find his writing and analysis crucial and important. If you're a conservative, you'll find his work um, controversial. (laughs) But who is wise is he who learns from all men. Mr. Frank, thank you for joining us. Welcome to the Airwaves of Phoenix. It's totally my pleasure. Was that a fair intro? <laughs> no, I, I hope so. That was very flattering. <laughs> okay. I, All right. Well, your piece. Um, but, I, but one correction. Yes, I, the liberal Democrats don't listen to me anymore. I, I don't know what I've done, but, uh, <laughs> you know, they. Uh, well, they, columns like this may be the reason. I think they're very touchy. <laughs> Is that possible? <laughs> Is that possible? We'll get into that, actually. I want to get into dissent uh, with you just a little bit. But let's. Let's uh, start with your piece in The Guardian, because right now i got to tell you, I think it's the piece to beat. I think it's um, an amazing uh, confession of self-awareness as to information suppression and all that goes on at the same time we're saying trust and listen to the truth, i.e. the science, right? This is what's yeah. been bothering and irking you. And we use the Wuhan lab case, the origin thesis as the start, you write, should it turn out that scientists and experts and NGOs are villains rather than heroes, we may very well see the expert worshiping values of modern liberalism go up in a fireball. Tell me what you mean by that. Well, this is uh, about beginning about five years ago, you know, before Donald Trump was elected, when you had the Brexit vote in England and then, um, you know, the Republican. Anyhow, there was a uh, a whole literature out there um Especially here in Washington D.C., about how uh, you know the the uh, the public no longer uh, trusted experts, and uh, this was the public's fault. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a, there's this whole literature. I, I I've written about this at some length, mm-hmm. uh, and though the key word here was always populism, they would always describe this as populism, which was basically a form of insolence. Right. It's um, right. Not going along with the majority. Refusing yeah. To yeah. Yeah, refusing to look up to uh, credentialed expertise. Right, right. And uh, this became a kind of, oh, how would you put it, almost like a, a religion. Yeah, I was going to say Trump a church, era. sure. It's a church. Yeah, there, yeah, there's a lot of parallels to religion, and mm-hmm. I don't want to go, I mean, I know our time is short here, I don't want to get into it too deep, but I, during the during COVID, I read, uh, I read a famous book called Journal of the Plague Year about the, sure. the last time they sure. had bubonic yep. plague in right. England. Right. And uh, people react to the situations like this in a very uh, 
in a very religious manner. Mm-hmm. But science is our new religion. Mm-hmm. And uh, you would see people saying things like, what was it Nancy Pelosi said, science is an answer to our prayers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, you know, we have to basically put scientists on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. Look, I'm, I'm all in favor of the scientific method, you know, of critical thinking and analysis and, you know, uh, that's that sort of thing, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about idolatry of credentialed expertise, and this has been the sort of yard sign mentality of uh, liberalism all through the Trump era. And with COVID, it felt like like um, the Almighty had stretched out His hand and said, "Yes, this is exactly right," and put scientists uh, in, not just on a pedestal in charge of our society. Right. right. And uh, you know, we were you know uh, uh, they. Uh, uh, they instituted all the masking rules, and by the way, which I obeyed and which I agree with, uh, you know, and all the, you know, the, the sort of closed down businesses and all that sort of thing. And I'm just here to say, if this, uh, if this theory turns out to be true, then oh my God, everything we were told is, it, 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 you know, it's the opposite. This is this is absolutely. If this turns out to be true, this is absolutely an earthquake on its way. Let me, let me ask you about that because you're putting you've put your finger on so many things here, Tom Frank, uh, Thomas Frank. Thank you for doing it. it it's, there's you a can lot call here. Me Tom, that's what everybody calls me. I can call you Tom. Thanks. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot here. Let's start with that issue of two kinds of science or different kinds of science. Maybe that's the way to say it. Trust the scientists. Believe in the science. Let's pray now for science, as the New York Times columnist you referenced. Yeah. Titled the piece, um, but but there are different kinds of scientists, uh, or, or at least science doesn't always agree, does it? There is a difference between, in other words, um, a certain point of view that Dr. Fauci or Deborah Burks might have, but they don't have the last word. There are other scientists we saw. You and I know the names, but any number of doctors out of Stanford or John Hopkins that had different views. But they weren't allowed to be listened to, right? Exactly. Because their public so policy is, conclusions weren't right or something. Exactly, which is a deeply unscientific attitude. Right. Uh, you know, science is about, is about um, dialogue mm-hmm. and uh, a discussion. Uh, and it's a conversation where you get at the truth. It's a process. It's not, uh, it's not reverence for authority. Now, I understand that we were in an emergency situation and all, all that all that sort of thing. All that is true. But think about how far this attitude went and the crazy uh, lengths. And by the way, we're only just beginning to understand this. Correct. Uh, let me put it this way. If you and I had this conversation and you put it up on YouTube about a month ago, it wouldn't have been permitted. Correct. Correct. Now, how freaky is that? That's well, that's not scientific to forbid conversations about you know that this is to, to pretend all in that the name this, of science. It is so Orwellian right, that it's all settled. Right. It's all settled. We know we know the answer, and you you're not even permitted to disagree. I, and you know sometimes I my the last column I wrote for the Guardian was about um, social media censorship. Yeah. And uh, this stuff is very frightening to me. You know, I'm a, I'm a liberal from the old school. I was just going to ask if you're my last liberal uh, that I, that still believes <laughs> in debate and free I feel speech. Like it, you know, yeah, normative absolutes. Yeah, go ahead, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes I feel like it. Yeah, it, it, you might it, be. It is, I'll, it I'll be calling you team. a lot more if you admit to it. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, it is my it is my team, Seth. Yeah, I, was, I was going to say it was not our team censoring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, it was my team yeah. that was uh, members of Congress, uh, people that I voted for. Right. That that we're hauling up, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and the various other social media sort of monopolists, and 
exhorting them, pleading with them to crack down on not just on uh, uh, you know uh, COVID conversations, but on political speech. Right, right. And this is happening in the United States of America. And uh, I'm pretty far to the left, okay, by uh, by most people's standards. I can't believe what's going on. I can't believe what's happening. Anyhow, I'm getting away from the. From, no, 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 you're not. Here, this which... is part of it. This is absolutely a part of it because it dawns on me, or at least it's been my observation. We're talking to Thomas Frank that. We have two things going on. We have a condemnation of free speech, which is part and parcel of the political scientific method, is it not, right? And <laughs> and, and, and we have what my good, friend, a scientist, said is his concern, which is the biggest hit may have been science over the last year and a half. The biggest hit, in a way, may have been science because it used to be a respected thing. And they've made a mockery of themselves over the last year and a half, these scientists have, even – even even Dr. Fauci, who has contradicted himself and told people he has misled the American public at times, right, Thomas? Yeah, about the about the mask stuff. But uh, well, I, about know, masks, not, but I also don't... about herd immunity. He said the country wasn't willing to hear eighty percent. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. I, well, I'm not. He's. I don't really go after Fauci. No, that's in fair. Too. That's too also fair. You don't, right? Yeah. The uh, but the but the but there's there's so many other. Uh, angles to this. The news media, mm-hmm. for example. So I, I tell the story in in this um, in this essay about about basically about about scolding a family member. I want to talk. Yeah, I, I have news. to do this thing uh, called a commercial break. Uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> Thomas Frank, can you call, bear with me? We'll be right back. I want to pick up on that story. It's, okay, it's critically yeah, sure important. Thing. As is this piece about journalism, because I want to also ask you, Mr. Frank, how it got to a point where the media gets to be a gatekeeper as to who it can say what you know the media that wraps themselves rightfully i believe in notions of the first amendment challenging government uh officialdom how they came to be such a gatekeeper i'm seth liebson we'll be right back with thomas frank tremendously uh published author and columnist at the guardian his most recent the people know a brief history of anti-populism be right back Thomas Frank, he's a columnist uh, with The Guardian U.S., author of several important books, most recently, Of the People Know, A Brief History of Antipopulism. His piece in The Guardian, one of the most uh, self-reflective, important pieces of the last year and a half, I believe, titled If the Wuhan Lab Leak Hypothesis is True, Expect a Political Earthquake. Tom, we were talking about how the media became an arbiter here, and right before the break, you were about to tell us a story that you get into in your essay, sir. Yeah, it was a. Uh, I was sort of uh, just two months ago. I was scolding a family member. You know, I'm not a scolding kind of person, but I was, you know, sort of arguing with a family member. You know, who was a Fox News viewer and believed in the uh, some version of the the lab leak hypothesis. And and I was and I was saying, you know, it's a conspiracy theory. And the reason I thought that is because. And I am almost ashamed to say this that I, you know, I still believe what they print in the newspaper. Yeah, sure. And even through all my cynicism, and you know, I've criticized these guys for years sure. and years and years. Sure. But, uh, but, but you think about how many different, uh, uh, sort of, uh, different, um, 
authority figures and and institutions are go- are going to be tarnished by this yeah, if it right. turns out if it turns out to be true. But will they I pay mean, a price? I mean, it seems we're in this weird world. Do you do you sense this, Thomas Frank? That we just jump from lily pad to lily pad, and very rarely does any any accountability ever take place. Oh man! Well, you took the words right out of my okay, mouth. So that's okay. the, that's sort of the theme of my career. Okay. For for me, I for and for my generation, I always assumed that the the, the biggest news story of our lives would be the, was the financial crisis sure of 2008 sure. 2009 sure. and you know when Until, every system yeah. <laughs> every system of supervision broke down right uh, and there were all of these professionals on wall street who were you know basically it's very similar to the lab leak in in, in a sort of mer- metaphorical way they were they were fooling around with dangerous uh, financial instruments that they had, that they had cooked up highly intelligent it, people who knew a lot more about things than most people yes, in their specialized with area. Degrees yep. with, mm-hmm. and they, yep. they were people who and we were we were told you know these are experts yep. they know what they're doing yep. and then we had other experts that were supposed to be supervising them and then and then it <laughs> it all turned into this incredible disaster mm-hmm. and no there was no accountability for them at the end of the day That's there right. because they're the 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 people who were supposed to enact that accountability turned out to be their buddies mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know uh, mm-hmm. i i think of you know I, I i didn't have high hopes for the bush administration but i did for barack obama mm-hmm. and he comes in there and 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 does nothing to mm-hmm. these guys mm-hmm. and uh, uh you know and that for for me and i always thought for my generation that was this this sort of critical story uh about how you can't just let experts self-regulate. You know, you have to have outside accountability. You have these this this problem of groupthink. You have this problem of um, uh, conflicts of interest. You know, all over the place with these guys, all through the financial crisis, conflicts of interest and groupthink. And uh, here it is again. It's all happening again. The, well, I mean, those same. The, the, I mean, it's a, it's a completely different problem, and it's much greater. I mean, three million people are dead around the world. The economy of the world was was disrupted in in a you know far more uh, uh, you know far more extreme way than it did than with the financial crisis. But it's the same kind of thing where these, you know, these these uh, uh, experts were, you know, fooling around with something dangerous. It was it was groupthink. They all had decided that this was okay. Uh, you know, where's the supervision? Well, we don't really know. Let me let and, me let me let me try this with you, uh, Thomas. Just uh, because we do, Tom, because we do have limited. And I'll have you back. We're gonna have. We're, I'm feeling you and I are gonna do a bunch of shows on this if if you're willing, because there's just so much to this. But the question is this: for those uh, uh, that people that were younger uh, and not alive during the McCarthy era or the blacklist era, you know, they saw movies, they read about it, and they were horrified to see some of the worst aspects of it that you could lose your livelihood. For a political yep. point of view, um, yep. you, 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 you would get fired from a university. I was shocked when the entire faculty, ex-cathedra at Stanford, united to vote uh, a, a grievance, uh, to vote uh, as, uh, um, as, as uh, uh, of no confidence against one of their own faculty members, Dr. Scott Atlas, for merely emphasizing a different aspect of this, which was the mental health aspect, I was shocked to see a university like Stanford operate. Oh, I don't, way. I don't know this story. Uh, I'll send it to you, but they they had a motion to denounce him at the Stanford faculty. But 
you know other stories variant. The, oh, there's to hundreds that. of stories like that. Yeah. It, so the question happens, is, how do it, we return to an environment where critical thinking can be applied to challenges in the future, so that we don't go back into I, the Irving Janus group I, think? I honestly, I honestly don't know. Okay. And I and uh, you know I don't know what the answer to that is. And so much of this we're now discovering was driven by um, sort of revulsion with. Donald Trump, and because Trump did believe in the lab leak theory, everybody else had to had to believe that it was false. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and, but wait, it's not just that. I mean, I have a friend, uh, a media critic named Matt Taibbi. I know, really great, mm-hmm. yeah, really great writer. And he said a while ago that uh, that 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 RussiaGate was this our generation's WMD. WMD referring to this sort of uh, catastrophic, you know, journalistic failure to you know, hold the Bush administration accountable when it wanted to start the Iraq war. Uh-huh. And, uh, uh, and it's like, well, now we've got something much, much, much worse than that. You know, if this turns out to be true, you're talking about the worst catastrophe of any of our lifetimes. And, uh, you know, uh, the newspapers were, you know, asleep at the switch. Yep. There's, uh, the, you know, the, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the sort of virology community that is supposed to be keeping an eye on it turns out that many, many, many of them had conflicts of interest. This is all coming out in the news right now. Um, this is it. This is just incredible, and it's uh, it's it's playing out in all of these familiar ways. All of these these same. Anyhow, the the bottom line here is that this group of you know credentialed expertise that we are supposed to bow down before and not think critically about has screwed up again mm-hmm. and it just it, it you know this is yet another example of this sort of you know this series of disasters that has characterized the last 20 or 30 years in this country and it's not just this of course we're talking about something that happened uh, if it happened at all that happened in China but th- i mean there's there's going to be plenty of blame to go around uh, we've been speaking with Thomas Frank, whose piece in The Guardian, where he is a columnist, uh, I think is just the piece to beat right now. It is called, If the Wuhan Lab Leak Hypothesis is True, Expect a Political Earthquake. Only about a minute left with you, uh, Tom. Let me just ask you, if I might, in conclusion for your thoughts on this question, which is, um, why... Does the left, help me understand this, think it's racist to engage in this thought process that it might have been accidental or even possibly deliberate? Why is that racist? Uh, I, I would say uh, because, uh, because Donald Trump was calling it. I mean, look, you have to have accountability. Uh-huh. Uh, in this world, okay. and the accountability doesn't, you know, it it it, it, it has to light somewhere, uh-huh. right? Yes, and uh, it, it, it's it's indifferent. Uh, it, you know, it has to happen. It's okay. a process that has to take place. I think that people were reluctant to do this because Donald Trump was uh, was originally calling it the China the China virus. Uh-huh. Seemed to be trying to use it as part of a general. Uh, anti-China strategy. I think that's all there. There, all, all there is to it. But I want to, you know, throw out here a pretty funny little anecdote. If, if anybody's in the mood for humor, you know, uh, Seth, I'm from I'm from Kansas originally, and uh, the the most famous and most deadly pandemic of the last century was uh, the the uh, what was called the Spanish flu right. of 1918 and 1919. Right. Of course, it didn't really come from Spain. No. 
It came from Kansas. Right. <laughs> <I know. laughs> that, the, which is the not what your book was, is about. But right. Yeah, yeah. No, the, the first case was reported at Fort Riley in uh, near Manhattan, Kansas. Well, yeah. you, you've, done, you've done us a great, a great service with this piece, and I'm glad to make your acquaintance and hopefully call you friend. Tom, I'd like to have you back soon. Hey, anytime. Thank you. Thank you very much. Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Harsha is in Phoenix. Hello, Harsha. Hi. How are you? Pretty good. I've talked to you once or twice. Yes, you have. Before. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you remember. Uh, I just have a couple quick points. The first would be on the subject of language. I think the uh, American or English language uh, is being uh, ruined. People are using words that do have a, a, a specific meaning, you might say, but they're using it uh, as if it's something uh, important to their subject or their ideas, okay? The words that I don't understand is this notion of critical race theory, okay? What is, why is the word critical in there? Because what it is basically is a race theory. Why do I need the word critical in there? There's so many things that are critical. It's critical that I drive a car. Or it's critical that I uh, have dinner tonight so, I can, so I'm not hungry. Right? Everything can't be critical. So they're using that word critical as if uh, that subject is uh, sacrosanct. That's one way to think of it. I think, in all fairness, Harsha, that's one way to think of it. I think the other way to think of it and the way the academics use it is critical in the sense of critique, in the sense of we are going to critique a theory using the racial lens. In other words, uh, not the movie, but the movie critic, not the author, but the book critic. Uh That's how it's being used in that sense, in academia anyway. Yeah, no, that that makes that's a good explanation. But it's an Uh, interesting point, nonetheless, to say, okay, critique that gets you a certain subtext, but certainly not everything is race, and it can be critiqued through other lenses as well. Uh, Certainly, the lens of uh, economics, which a lot of Marxist theorists have done as well. But why? And this has been my point for years and years, and it's not original to me. It starts with. professors like Leo Strauss, but why is the lens we never try and look through, the lens that the person who uttered, wrote, spoke, or thought the think we're, the thought we're looking at, why is their perspective never important? I mean, when our founders, for example, said, um, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, they believed that. They believed that. Why do the critics who say they didn't believe it get a voice in this uh-huh. and the most important voice? Yeah. That's what I've never yeah. understood. Yeah. Why is it the subtext that's always more important than the text? Why do we exactly. allow, in other words, professors at any given university today – that were trained in places like Berkeley, California, or Cambridge, Massachusetts. Why do they know more 
about what James Madison thought than James Madison? Why do they? The answer is they don't. Right. Let me give you a... So what happens is people take a word that has a common understanding as to what it means, and they apply it to their subject. That's true, yes. When they do that, that, when they do that, the original meaning of that word is changed, and it's... It, it doesn't mean anything That's to right. me because they're using the word differently. That's right. But here's a good example of that is the word platform. Okay. To me, a platform is a, a thing, that a physical thing that you put something on. <laughs> or uh, uh, It's a built, it's something that's being built or has been built. Sure. So what do the computer people say? All these computer online platforms. The word platform is now something that's not really there. It's only a word. Okay, fair enough. I think there are worse corruptions of our language. I am always cognizant of this. Um, Emerson said the corruption of man is followed by the corruption of language. And Confucius said when words lose their meaning, people lose their liberty. But certain words can have dual or triple or more meanings, quadripartite meanings even. Um, That doesn't bother me so much as the abuse of language, the abuse of words that actually used to mean something super important, like, for example, racist, like, for example, Nazi, like, for example, Hitler. Um, these words used to mean things, and they've been rendered. Uh, they've been rendered uh, anodyne. They've been rendered innocuous. They have been denuded of their toxicity by simply applying them to anyone we don't like. There's your example of people taking words and applying them to serve their own interests. This is not new. As I said, Emerson understood it. Certainly, Lewis Carroll understood it in the uh, in the um, in the t- in the uh, in the tale of Humpty Dumpty, where words mean what I say they mean. But, of course, when you live in a society where words do mean things and numbers do mean things and truth does matter, um, it's hard to support that point of view. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It's time to not only think think about, but to rethink air conditioning in Arizona. That's what my friends Chris Funk and the team at Cool Touch Air Conditioning do almost every day. He's letting you in on a little secret. Almost every air conditioner in the valley is too big by design to compensate for the really hot days. Uh, And that's why they have a new system for you designed to do two things, the most comfortable living environment and the biggest savings on those painfully high and surprising utility bills. Cool Touch will eliminate the pain and the surprise and with fantastic customer service, too. I can't begin to explain their customer service. You have to experience it to know you've got a great thing. But this is why I and all my friends use Cool Touch. The future of air conditioning is here, and Cool Touch is charting it. And for a limited time, they are offering a $2,000 rebate on this system. Reach my friends at Cool Touch for all your air conditioning needs at 623-734-1932. That's 623-734-1932 or at CoolTouchAC.com. And as usual with Cool Touch, kick back and relax, for they will keep you cool. Rob is in surprise. Hello, Rob. Well, hi, Seth. Long time no talk. I'm sorry. I've been uh, listening to you all week, but I, I've been more interested in listening than actually, you know, calling in. Um, and you've done good. I'm very proud of Thank you. Thank uh, you. You're a great American. Thank anyway, you. 
Um, early, earlier, I guess it was maybe yesterday, I read that Princeton University uh, classic majors no longer have to study Greek or Latin. And I thought, well, I thought back to my Naval Academy days when, you know, we had Russian majors that actually had to learn the language um, because I was a Russian major for a little while before I switched to engineering. Um, and I thought to myself, uh, what, how, how do they, how do they justify uh, dumbing down a, a classic uh, program? And, and again, Princeton, this is where Einstein went to, for God's sake, and was, you know, and I guess is considered a pretty elite Ivy League school. But I mean, how are you going to really learn classics if you don't understand the languages from the classics were, from whence they came? Um, that was one of my, you know, things that I was concerned about. But I guess that's the way of things now. They they kind of water down curricula, uh, no matter where, uh, no matter where you go to school. But but I was thinking too, as you were talking both of your monologue today and recently, um, about lies. And, you know, how we know that uh, we've been lied to uh, by the media, by, well, Dr. Fauci, by uh, people that are, you know, pro-Palestinian who don't get history or understand it and and, and things like that. And I I was thinking about how uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn once wrote, and this may have come from the Gulag Archipelago, um, he he had said, quote, we know they're lying. They know they're lying. They know that we know they are lying. We know that they know we know they are lying, and still they continue to lie. <laughs> um, and then there was another uh, a, a, a female Russian. I think she lived under Brezhnev, Elena Gorokova, um, and she had written something similar. Uh, she said, the rules are simple. They lie to us. We know they're lying, uh, but they keep lying to us, and we... Uh, Keep pretending to believe them. Um, so I, I think you know these are these are some quotes worth thinking about. You know, uh, and, and there's a ton of other things about you know if people want to Google or look up lies. Um, I think we are living in a, a universe now where the the media, the culture, uh, has been conditioned to believe an awful lot of lies, just like you know the 1984 thing in the Ministry of Truth, um, and I think that's kind of what got me to thinking about, you know, when are people going to wake up and realize that they've been lied to from so many angles in so many directions from places that, you know, quote-unquote, used to be the trusted source of information or news, and yet uh, it, it goes back to the Solzhenitsyn quotes. Like, we know they're, well, we, those of us who are aware of it, and I guess so many still aren't, um, they're lying to everybody. And Washington, D.C., the current regime, they're lying to everybody. And yet so many people believe the lies. How do we break that, and how do we get the truth to them? I mean, this is this is one of the great uh, quandaries I've, I've been thinking about for so long. Well, I wasn't encouraged, I have to tell you, when I asked Tom Frank, Thomas Frank how we get out of this, and he said he had no idea. I know how. I know how. You, um, you, uh, you, uh, you, f- you reform and you bring uh, under 
uh, control social media and the news media. You change mm-hmm. you change the laws having to do with defamation and the precedent of New York Times v. Sullivan, and you change um, and 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 you change exemptions for social media companies and or bring them under the purview of the First Amendment and apply apply a basic public accommodation or utility service First Amendment law to them. Um, I, I think that when you are given uh, by a media that tells you they're giving you the unvarnished principled truth when, when you find out that they have lied to you repeatedly and not, mm-hmm. not by – what's the word I want here? Not by accident, not by oversight, not by uh, negligence, what? right? But deliberately. Deliberately. Yeah, they are propaganda tools and machines wrapping mm-hmm. themselves in um, the right to do and say whatever they want and to shut you down if they disagree mm-hmm. with you. They've just become too big and yeah. not too big to fail, but simply too big and too wrong. I don't know how you have a republic based on truth when its uh, dominant arena for political conversation where you theoretically are supposed to pick and choose your public policy uh, preferences to become in accord with the truth. I don't know how you can operate a republic like that when that main arena is full of lies. Um, We have become, in some respects, the countries we used to criticize. What did Mm -hmm. we say about the Soviet Union during Chernobyl? Exactly what we're saying is about ourselves now. When China exactly. covers up Tiananmen or other things, what we said about them then, we could say about ourselves now. Oh, yeah. And again, I, you know, I go back to Solzhenitsyn, uh-huh. and, and he had actually uh, had a uh, another quote, and the guy was a pretty brilliant guy. Yes, and I wish was. more people yes, would, would read about him and read his book. Um, he had said, you know, the quote, the simple step of a courageous individual mm-hmm. is not to take part in the lie. Mm-hmm. One word of truth outweighs the world. Absolutely. Unquote. Absolutely. And that's how I'll finish, Seth. God bless you. All right. Bless you, sir. Truth will set us all free, Rob. Right? Live a lie and you will live to regret it, Jimmy Buffett said, from Jesus to Jimmy Buffett. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Horace Cooper's coming up. He's fantastic. If you've missed him on Tucker last night, or uh, he has been uh, doing yeoman's work on uh, on calling out the administration for saying such things as white supremacy is the most lethal threat to Americans, as Joe Biden said. Uh, last week and has repeatedly uh, – no, sorry, this week. He said it in Tulsa this week and as he said it at his State of the Union. Uh, Horace Cooper is going to join us and give us his analysis on that. He of uh, Project 21, uh, an African-American uh, think tank, um, a think tank dedicated to African-American issues uh, based with the National Center for Policy Analysis. You're not going to want to miss it. I was, I was just kind of thinking about the last two calls, Rob and, and Harsha. And this notion of lies and truth. And I mentioned Chernobyl because this 
there's this weird new thing. Watch what the liberals are doing with this origin story. They're now trying to have a second bite at this apple. They're now saying, well, we over, over, overdid it by dismissing everything about the lab theory as part of a conspiracy theory. The real conspiracy theory that we meant was the idea that China did this deliberately and weaponized it as a bioweapon, whereas the real story may be that China had an accidental leak that it was trying to cover up. They're trying to divide this baby in two now and save face. It's not going to work. Because they didn't shoot that precisely last year. They shot with a blunderbuss, not a rifle, against anything having to do with the Wuhan lab or anything having to do with China. You may recall, even Andrew Cuomo said this disease came from Europe. These people are fools. And I don't mean it lightly. They are fools.